hello everyone welcome to the india independent films podcast where we talk about films uh, on a different range of subjects with a little bit of focus on film writing uh, my name is fankaj sesteva and i write on my blog dichotomy of irony and i also contribute articles for the iif website uh, i have with me rahul desai writer and critic who has been writing on films for quite a while and also uh, host another weekly podcast uh, on iif with a different bunch of film critics uh, we've had a few podcast episodes before and uh, it was very nice at least i got feedback from four people in the last 2 3 weeks that they really liked what we spoke about so it was very encouraging that some people are listening and they find this podcast you know uh, helpful at least and then uh, last month we had spoken about uh, sound in films so today we'll focus a little bit on different areas and i have something like a few questions in mind which i'll ask rahul about focusing on editing cinematography and a little bit on the academy awards that are coming up in the next few weeks so um okay rahul firstly like how have you been since our last podcast yeah i'm glad we made this a bit of a routine at least like a monthly routine uh, because you know as i said last time it gives me also a chance to reflect on you know what we do and the way we think about film so I, i'm glad this is uh, uh, we are continuing this and even i got a lot of good uh, feedback about the last few podcasts in fact people actually looking forward to it which is very weird to think of given that most of us suffer from imposter syndrome so i keep thinking that is anyone listening also uh, but uh, but no it, it it's nice it's a nice little bonus and uh, i'm very happy that you know you uh, you have I, i mean some of your questions I was just telling someone yesterday, in fact, uh, a fellow, a colleague, a film critic, and all. Like your questions are really sort of uh, so observational that they make me think in different ways too. That's why I enjoy doing this podcast. Again, that person was also looking forward to this, so I just I, I told him that we are doing another one today. So yeah, I'm I've been fine. Otherwise, uh, it's it's been a hectic few weeks, um, and um, yeah, I mean it, it it's now back to business as usual. Fortunately. Uh, of course the life of a film critic here <laughs> is more dangerous than we'd like to imagine these days uh, but um, but yeah it's good to be back great uh, i also look forward to our monthly conversations now it started just as a you know like one or two yeah. episode but i think now uh, i also look forward to it so now i'll ask again with a very difficult question <laughs> uh, you know a few days ago uh, Uh, Guillermo del Toro put out this tweet praising this sequence from West Side Story uh where he had spoken and very beautiful thread he explained about that one shot sequence from that film and then there was this one tweet uh where he mentioned and this is why every craft in our discipline needs to be honored uh, we need to talk about cinema in cinema terms again and celebrate those who do it and you know my question here is we often read you know this common feedback that a lot of readers focus you know you should focus on the craft and those technical aspects as a film critic uh, or as film writer do, should we write on these aspects or like what's your just take on that i mean it's, it's honestly it's there's no hard and fast rule i totally get you know why guermo del toro first of all he's a film nerd before he's a filmmaker right and he's right. such 
such an important voice in that terms but again when it comes to film reviews it's an entirely different way of looking at films too right like as much as it sounds easy saying okay no you need to focus on the individual aspects of a craft but it needs to fit into what you're trying to say about the film you know you can't just have a paragraph about all the different tools of filmmaking just for the heck of it because guermo del toro is saying it because other filmmakers are urging people to talk about craft no they are talking about the craft because that's what they see in it as filmmakers and it's our privilege to listen to it and to understand the craft better but when you're reviewing a film you can take the knowledge that someone like guermo del toro is giving you about that uh, long take that you mentioned and apply it to your understanding of what the film tells you and how it tells you you know uh, how it tells you things and again you know there's no there's no gun to your head saying that you need to mention the cinematography or the editing the sound design in every review uh, but when it does merit when it does add into your uh, perception of the film like for example uh, if it ties into a broader point of about what you're trying to say about say west side story or la la land or that first shot same first shot in la la then sure go you know uh, go all out and sort of get into the craft and sort of ask questions of the craft uh, but it need not uh, it, it that isn't the criteria uh, while writing reviews most of the time it needs to come in organically otherwise even the reader can tell that you know uh, you know this person may not know entirely about the craft he or she is talking about but the commenting on it because it's good and bad it shouldn't be like that as you know even like uh, when uday and me uh, uday bhatia and me do the young critics lab thing the one thing we say is that do not keep using adjectives uh, and sort of descriptive sort of um, uh, sentences to talk about crafts and all it needs to tie into a larger point you cannot uh, you uh, if you say the editing is good um, it cannot be just that just tell me why it's good and how it contributes to the film being better how it contributes to a character portrait how it uh, contributes to uh, the emotion in a particular sequence so so yeah you you cannot just leave it at that it's very easy and lazy to do that but you need to go further than that and that's where the challenge of film criticism of of film writing in general comes into uh, comes into uh, focus because it's not always easy to do and there will always be filmmakers doing the work of telling you that this is what you should look at and i love what uh, you know following guermo del toro's threads uh, also about filmmaking it has taught me a great deal too uh, and a lot of us um, i think think want to think like him the only difference is he's actually doing making those films and he's actually you know geeking out on them at once right right and you know the funny thing is like i was reading about this more and the same thing that you mentioned there was this whole debate about uh, in 2014-15 roger ebert had mentioned something similar and then there was a counterpoint to this his uh, article and it, it was in the garden and i think you just summarize what the article in garden was <laughs> mentioning that you know it should tie into the overall narrative and he that article talked about i don't remember the writer i have the link uh, but he mentioned something about you know pauline kale she mentioned that she only reads the films only once she doesn't care about the craft as much as as long as the film connects with her mm-hmm. so again there are different views here but i was very curious to just you know, learn about uh, what you read about that thread mm-hmm. okay you know in our last podcast you know i'd spoken about uh, editing uh, sound editing so i again i'll ask a similar question here like you know uh, how do you see editing or what 
have you considered you know a film like you know is good editing hmm. so first of all we need to get uh, rid of the con- you know the misconception that editing is largely about length of a film because i know like it's this shouldn't be said aloud obviously in 2022 but a lot of you know cinephiles lot of fans of films lot of enthusiasts are still under the impression even film critics for that matter are still under the impression that tight editing is about making a film shorter and good editing is about making a film crisp i hate that adjective crisp you know it should be used for food it should not be used here but uh, um, but yeah first you know we need to get that out of the way before continuing because um, uh, a 3 hour film can be as beautifully edited as a one and a half hour thriller you know and we we keep and we need to keep saying that more because uh the more we keep saying it the more people will start to look at it from that perspective too because lately i've watched a lot of 3r films you know i um, um I, i more or less most of them have been like that like jund was 3 hours uh, gangobai was 2 and a half hours um and you know that's a thing you know sometimes when you feel the length of a film that is a failure of sort of many departments at once it's not just or oh, the editor could have made this shorter it's not as simple as that the director is in charge of how the film is edited what the editor is in charge of is how a particular sequence will flow how a particular scene will sort of uh, flow into the next scene the fluidity of feeling and the fluidity of emotion the fluidity of suspense and what the filmmaker wants to say is up to the editor so the editor is more in charge of the micro details of putting the film together the macro vision is still the director mm-hmm. so the director will still tell the editor that he wants he or she wants this shot and he uh, and they will assemble the shots according to the director after that the director will might tell the editor that this is the emotion i want to elicit in this particular 5 minute sequence see uh, do what you can and come back to me with that let me see what you do with it that's where the editor comes into play so th- that for me is an entirely different skill set it is a very important tool of filmmaking it is being a filmmaker without being on the set mm-hmm. uh, and that is and it's so difficult because the editor is the one person uh who has the least perspective about the film about how it was shot so that is a strength and the weakness right like because everyone else is so involved with the film on production pre production on shoot that uh, that that you know objectivity is a is a challenge and but the editor comes in after the film is shot uh, he he or she may or may not be involved on the shoot itself but an entire chunk of work happens after the film is shot and that is where i think the objectivity comes you know in handy that is where uh, an editor can do to a film what a filmmaker cannot imagine you know while being on the set and and that for me is something like a film is made i know it's a cliche you know a film is made on the editing table and all but more or less that is the case uh, more often than not like uh, and especially you know with with longer films that where we say oh shit it's too long uh, it's gone past 2 hours 2 and a half hours and we start complaining about we start feeling the length that's when are we are automatically conditioned to you know blame the editor for it uh, but but you know the, it is as i said it's a collective sort of uh, effort and it's a collective failure or collective success at that matter um, there have been uh, as i said the three hour films lately have also mm. put into context a lot of what editing can do for a film 
you know, I didn't think Jund was badly, like Nagraj Manjula's Jund was badly edited at all. I just thought it, it had other problems. It was not badly edited. It was what the filmmaker wanted. Three hours was part, Serat also was three hours. And that was wonderfully edited, mm-hmm. right? Because it tells such a... It tells such a story through its editing itself because one half is an entirely different film. Uh, and that's what filmmakers, good filmmakers try to do through the editing. They, they try to sort of, uh, they try to challenge a viewer's preconceived notions about how a film should be and how it should look and how it should flow. And uh, I think the best of them uh, tell a story through the editing itself. Right. That's great. Um, you know, in your... Um, FC retake with Anupama, uh, you had done on the Rockstar thing. And I remember this whole segment about the editing in Rockstar, Uh, not caring about the repetition. I would just again ask you to explain, you know, how you saw that film so differently through the editing. I remember you would mention, I'll I'll let you complete it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Rockstar was the first title that came to my mind even right now while talking to you because you know of course I read about that film later and of course I read about how Imtiaz Ali did not have a definite idea about how the film is supposed to flow or look and gave it to his editor who is I think Aarti Bajaj uh, mm-hmm. and she uh, sort of determined how the film would look and and she you know determined how that that entire non-linear structure that we see which is very very difficult to pull off see I hadn't seen something like that in Hindi cinema till 2011 myself I was fairly young into my watching career too and when I saw that like you know films start with something songs determine determining how uh, a narrative flows uh, or doesn't flow for that matter uh, you know that back and forth seamless back and forth between different parts and you could sense that the director uh, sort of shot a lot of the film uh, with with some sort of concrete trust in what the editor would get out of it. And you cannot define that film, you know. Uh, you cannot define how that film sort of looks or flows because it is so unique in how it... Because there are there are songs in the Joby Ho in the beginning. Right. Uh, uh, there are shots from every phase of Janardhan's life mm-hmm. in that song alone. And that's not possible. That's not easy to do when you're at the beginning of the film and you don't even know what's going to come later. Of course, only later when you see him go through like these different phases of his life, uh, do you realize that that song was basically an encapsulation of the journey that we are going to see ahead. And that's what a lot of the music in the film does. That's why A.R. Rahman's soundtrack comes in. And that's why it's one of the most acclaimed soundtracks of the last decade is because uh, the editing has a large part to do with that. The 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 sort of almost freehandness of the film uh, is down to the way it is edited and it is given form and shape uh, or lack of shape for that matter through the editor alone. You could sense mm-hmm. that the director was not clear about it. And that's where I think most of the criticism also uh, stemmed from the fact that it was a little haphazard, you know, it was a little all over the place. But I think that same thing worked for me and it worked for me big time because I watched it three times back to back in one week and in the theatres and and every time I took back something different from the structure of the film, from the narrative of the film. And that's the first time the word narrative also sort of started becoming a conscious 
term in my mind uh, because before that it's just about whether the story is good or whether the story is not uh, then you start to understand the grammar of how a film is made how it is edited and how it is constructed and the construction of rockstar is very unique you know i still believe of course it has every right to be divisive and i totally get where people are coming from when they say you know it's it's it just doesn't work but uh, but for me that the editing of the film went with the mental uh, went with the mental sort of anatomy of the protagonist of janardhan himself uh, uh, of um, when he becomes jordan uh, i feel that if you think about rockstar the film right now through if janardhan thinks about rockstar like about his own journey mm-hmm. this is how he would think of it it would be scattered like that uh, it would be sort of all over the place and it would be uh, at the same time it would be beautifully musical and uh, there would be no rhythm to it but at the uh, at the same time there would be a sense of feeling about uh, uh, about where he started from and where he ended and you know i believe that the film is sort of playing out in his head in a way uh, and that that you know that harmony between the hero and uh, uh, the hero of the film and the the way it's told that is very rare you don't often see that and and i appreciated the editing for exactly you know that reason right and then i think uh, you mentioned which i didn't see it like how the editing actually tells the story through the narrative story of the narrative i mean tells the story through the eyes of the journalist uh that point you had made and which i never thought of it but and i watched it again like a few mm-hmm. weeks ago which actually made sense you know those snippets of those yeah. headlines yeah. so uh just would like to add on that but that was I, a beautiful I, point <laughs> yeah i don't even remember making that point but yeah that's another thing you know you take away if you watch that film enough the perspective as i said is uh, the one way to look at it is you know sort of janardhan thinks exactly like that and this is how his memory would look uh, another thing is if you go if you actually go about trying to learn how a journalist operates they first gather the material right. of a story and it's all you know it's in bunch of notes and it's it's all over the place and then they try to find direction through it right and that is navigating that's how journalists sort of navigate a story report a story so i mean if you do look at it that way yes of course you know aditi ravadri who is the journalist in the film and who wants to who sort of uh, wants to cover janardhan as a profile so to say uh, uh, that is probably her first draft if you look at it you know rockstar is her yeah. first draft uh, uh, and and if because that's the only reason you see the story sort of darting back and forth between not only sequences in scenes in moments itself is darting back and forth between timelines and and you know the, the director there's there's never the director never makes an effort to tell you this is in one year ago this is one month ago there are no time slits and that for me is where you know that's how that's how that entire very scattered but beautifully uh, sort of compiled rhythm of the film uh, can also be attributed to to the sense of journalism about it to uh, and if you look at it that's what an editor is also right like the editor is the journalist is the reporter of the film of what has been made uh, uh, on production and uh, their job is to put it all together and make, make it resemble a very fluid and compelling long form piece that is what editors do in journalism too and their two editors are not involved in the story itself 
so so it's an objective point of view so the fact that a journalist was already part of the film made it you know more attractive to think of the film from her perspective right right absolutely and you know like if you look back at our life we don't remember everything we just remember the yeah. moments and again you know whether it's school college they don't flow in through our uh, timeline we just remember the highlights so i saw you know that way also like you know it's just a what all he's remembering like you know the critically critical bits and there's this music added to his life yeah. so that's yeah so that's a very beautifully how it was edited okay you know so following this recently there was sardar udham mm. uh, you know uh, th- of course there was this whole he reversed like the starting bits came at the end but you know in the initial bits of the film there were three different timelines that were occurring um uh, and i read some confusion a lot of people were confused by that as well did you feel that in that film like the constantly shifting timelines did it bother you or yeah so while uh, you know while that film was going on i will admit i was a bit confused in the beginning about the timelines uh, um i also appreciated that you know the director isn't going out of his way to define the timelines they are basically trusting the viewer to figure it out so the thing is while watching it i was a little confused but as the film started progressing and towards the end of the film once the beginning started uh once the actual massacre happened that's when it sort of makes sense so there are two ways to obviously you know digest a film like a lot of people get very troubled when they don't understand what's happening in a film right. and the timeline is a little confusing so that can throw them off immediately and you know that there's no way back in but if you watch enough films and if you sort of trust in the filmmaker or trust in the people behind the film you will let that phase pass because it will contribute to an accumulation of all this towards the end you will trust that you understand the film in hindsight and mm. i think sadar udham was all about hindsight you know reading a film in hindsight because you did not see the beginning of the film coming in the end for that to for a good 40 45 minutes um so uh, i wasn't too troubled by it later obviously because i was like okay in the end that didn't even matter because mm. this is how it started you know so whatever our confusion was stemming in from the beginning in that film from how things timelines were sort of criss crossing um that confusion was probably deliberate for all you know because uh, after the beginning that we see after the massacre that we see in the end sadar udham's journey is not entirely defined even he doesn't know uh, sort of what he wants to do and how he wants to achieve it all he knows is that he wants a sense of justice and that lines between revenge and justice are being blurred and and of course it's labeled as a freedom fighter journey because sometimes fighting for freedom is also sort of uh, trying to find closure for a particular incident from your own childhood uh, or from or from your own youth so that is never as clear as films or stories or books tell us you know it's always right. a protagonist who's conflicted and they isn't really in control of his or her journey as much as films have the responsibility to show us they are in control because films is a controlled medium films are not telling us as many things as they are telling us so the things they edit out are actually the things they happen so that's what sadar udham so, was so good at right it was showing us bits that normally end up on the editing floor normally mm-hmm. end up being chopped off from a biopic from a journey uh, and 
uh, you know, by, by with with sort of Shudit Sarkar showing us those bits, basically says that basically gives us a very clear portrait of the film of the protagonist also sort of um, very haphazard mental uh, uh, sense of purpose basically mm-hmm. because there were good 20 years 15 or right. 20 years you know that were being covered in that and uh, you know and he would disappear for long periods of time then just appear in london and then just be in russia before that so it's it those things that it, the entire purpose for me of that film was to tell us that it it is never as resolute as films or stories tell us you know there are a lot of ifs and buts there are a lot of in betweens that we don't see there are a lot of doubts self doubt in in a protagonist mind no matter if he is a freedom fighter or a terrorist it doesn't matter uh, the self doubt is common between all human beings and that self doubt is portrayed very well through the way the film is edited i feel right right do you think can this editing be planned before uh i think there can be a broad brief about it mm-hmm. uh, i don't think it can be planned to down to the last detail i mm. think good filmmakers have a sense of what they want to say and how they want to say it they will maybe give a brief to the editor and that is where the harmony between the editor and the filmmaker needs to match right like because you can't have an editor that's trying to that sees a different film in what you made and uh, so so that's what so i think a lot of it's just like us writing pieces you know while writing the piece also you realize that uh, you hadn't planned it entirely but a lot of planning is happening while you're writing so i feel like even editing and filmmaking happens the same way also even though shots are planned sequences are planned production is planned a lot of editing i feel uh, is instinct at the end of the day and a lot of instinct will come through in that dark uh, you know editing suite that only the filmmaker and the editor will sit in for months on end and a lot of that instinct is what defines a lot of these films i feel like uh, because on a macro level sure you know the narrative is planned the script is planned but uh, on a micro level i feel a lot of it is instinct and the best of editors have uh, an instinct that sort of can convince the filmmakers to uh, to alter their own vision or to improve their own vision and i feel that's what happened in rockstar and i feel that what happened in a lot of imtiaz's films in you know before his last few films uh, and that trust in editing is also a different kind of talent you know not a lot of filmmakers say ke edit pe dekha jayega a lot of them want to be in control of what they are saying and if things don't work according to the script they panic uh, but you know giving your editor free hand is also a good thing right and do you recall any film that you know that was ruined by editing <laughs> anything that, that comes editing that comes uh, on the top of your head otherwise it's fine um on the top of my head uh, i wouldn't say i noticed any film that was absolutely ruined by editing that's again the thing about editing uh, editing right like sure you think you know what bad editing is but uh, uh, which can be length which can be rhythm which can be you know the choppiness and the, the sequence of a film but uh, i mean Uh, you can't ever say that a film has been ruined on an editing table sure it can be made on an editing table but if you say a film is ruined on an editing table it means it wasn't right to begin with also yeah. means the raw material was not enough the filmmaker did not do enough to sort of uh, uh, you know sort of pass it off like for example i was just watching uh, i was watching a series that's releasing basically tomorrow uh, shahdali's new series 
um, Bloody Brothers, which is on Z5. Um, and I noticed while writing the review also that the reason I was never going to be engaged with the series is because it fundamentally lacked a sense of craft. Like there were, there are sequences. Like tomorrow, when people start watching it, they might notice that there are sequences that stop and start um, at the completely wrong moment. You know, there are sequences that should have ended 10 seconds before or should have gone on for 10 more seconds, but they just don't land. Like mm -hmm. there is no emotional continuity from one sequence to the other. And that is a very basic fundamental flaw. That is again, I wouldn't blame the editor so much as the director here also, because the director has okayed it means the director's sense of, you know, rhythm is also flawed. Uh, director's sense of storytelling is flawed. Like every sequence in a series like that feels like a film on its own, which is not a good thing because you're actually constructing a story. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you, you can't let a sequence sort of exist in isolation. Like there is, there are four or five parallel stories happening. I get it. But you can't let them exist in isolation because you have the responsibility of convincing the viewer that all of them are connected at the same time and all of them are going to uh, all of them are happening in the same universe in the same space so that requires a sense of rhythm so when you get this fundamental flaw of you know not cutting the sequences at the right time or chopping it at or sort of just it just looks abrupt when they are put together that means you know uh, the your sense of filmmaking itself is flawed and the editing will stem from that itself right got it now let's come to a little bit on um, cinematography. You know, um, this is a very uh, this is easy to easy in the sense like this is more visually uh, understandable. A lot of people can see the visuals. Uh, so, was there any film that you know you think that told a story through just a cinematography? You know, just like Rockstar was more like editing. Um, something on the cinematography thing side that a film was just done by this. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been many films like that. Like, for, for example, Cold War, I mean, it was for me one of those very definitive films that was told entirely through its editing and cinematography, you know, because okay. editing was because of how and you're trying to tell this immortal love story that spans across one or two decades in one and a half hours, less than one and a half hours. You don't think of love stories as short films, you know, like right. as, as shorter narratives. You think of them as these, these epic things that are supposed to at least be two and a half hours. That's how you feel the pain and the tragedy and the doomed love story. You feel all that like that. But uh, as far as editing, that's how it sort of really subverted our perception of how characters think of each other or, or what love does to the memory of a person or of a, of a romance. Uh, and at the same time, the cinematography, you know, that monochromatic black and white Europe in, uh, you know, uh, in sort of post-World War uh, portions, um, that had such a distinct language in defining, you know, the colorlessness or the color of the love between both the characters that, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that could have been told in so many different ways, but the director chose probably the most difficult way to tell it. And for me, even Roma worked that way, you know, like mm. uh, the cinematography, again, it's it's a coincidence that it's again, it was black and white in a more as a modern film, but the black and white was not a gimmick, right? Like it was, there was such a sense of 
uh, empathy towards the you know towards the lead protagonist in that towards uh, uh, towards the domestic help in mexico it was such a personal film to the director that you know the way he's recalling his childhood uh, is basically not black and white uh, that that is what the entire film is about you're seeing a character from a peripheral character from your childhood as someone who was actually a human being with her own insecurities and problems and uh, strengths and comforts uh, so basically that lack of that 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 sort of infusion of nuance into memory the way you think about some character from your childhood uh, and in hindsight that character becomes someone else to you i felt we- went very well with the film sense of cinematography you know even the way the film starts with the shot of the plane in the you know in uh, sort of um from the terrace uh, you know all of that contributed to um, to the way the filmmaker is trying to sort of reminisce uh, about his own past as well as uh, the present of the maid in the film uh, uh, herself and that that for me was a great intersection between both then on more conventional levels i'd say a, a film like amelie uh, right. you know and barfi for that matter for me they are siblings in the in my head and uh the similar you can, you can talk about the color uh, correction you can talk about the editing you can talk about the music but the cinematography is i'm not talking about how visually it looks i'm talking about how the frames are being constructed here how uh, the camera moves more than how it looks and the way the camera moves like you know the, those those very quirky squish swishes towards the character and those those zooms in and out and those sort of the way it tracks across a uh, across scenery or an environment to sort of uh, to sort of pull off those visual gags is not an easy thing to do and for me that is also down to as much the cinematography and as much as the harmony of cinematography with uh, with what the director's vision is uh, to pull it off because these are entirely technical films these are these can go wrong so badly if the cinematographer and the editor aren't on the same page uh, you know again uh, anurag basu is another director who has nothing planned when he shoots apparently uh, and a lot of it just happens on the editing table and we've seen him go wrong with that too you know with jagga jasus he did go wrong with uh, you know with large stretches of how he edited that film uh, but but with with films like barfi and all that's when when you get it right it's very rewarding to watch and when you're watching as a viewer you don't know whether to to give credit to which department and that right. i feel is a victory right like that i feel is in hindsight you can say that okay the dop was great sure the cinematography was great but so was the editing so was the music so was the so was the sound designing so was the color correction uh, and for me just the way the camera moved in those two films uh, for me changed my way of how i looked at you know cinematography also that's great do colors distract you if um, uh, if it is to you know i'll give an example because yeah. in this recent loop lapeta yeah, yeah. uh, i didn't feel that colors added anything to the narrative ludo i get it uh, you know yeah, ludo yeah. was for with loop lapeta i saw this interview with sacharita by the director he explained some things why he added color but i just didn't feel it while watching the film so do colors distract you or like again i know it's close to the film what they're trying yeah. to say but anything there no i know i know what you mean because um for i am biased towards you know seeing color in a film like i'm not right. seeing cream color 
when i see color in a film it immediately sort of wakes my mind up to something uh, to a different sensibility you know like you immediately expect an idiosyncratic crazy right. film uh, that is going to not be conventional like all the colors films you see the burfees and the amelies and the loop lapetas the judgmental like yeah for that matter also mm. the colors were popping in that film right. but again there was it tied into the the protagonist mental health uh, uh, loop lapeta again you know i wasn't distracted by the colors i felt that it was a different way to show goa for mm. me like because of course we all think of goa as this you know party capital of india yeah. and and it shot in certain ways uh, you know shot through you through lens of either luxury or the white lens or this vacation lens in most films uh, but what i liked about loop lapeta is they showed a very local part of goa uh, that we don't often see in a lot of hindi movies and the color they added felt a little natural because i've been to those parts of goa and when you actually think about those parts now uh, somehow the loop lapeta color sort of meld into your memories of that part of goa so if you see finding fanny from for, the, yeah. for that matter it is more or less the same part of goa too except the characters are more idiosyncratic mm-hmm. than the film looks uh, there but if you look at it and if you think about finding fanny today Uh, you will still feel that the colors were popping in that film too you mm-hmm. know there was a coldness about that film there was a uh, there was of course it was more toned down or sober than say something like loop lapeta was it which was entirely stylistic which was entirely uh, based on how technically it looked uh, but but you know finding fanny was more of a uh, subdued but very colorful film at the same time like visually and uh, that's what i i mean i'm i'm as i said you know i i like when filmmakers play with colors in their films i li- i equally like it when they are very muted and batmanish most of the time and when they are very dark but it it cannot be a gimmick you know you i right. don't want that schneider type of color in my films like when i'm watching it i don't need to know that you know the this silvers and these blacks and this darkness has to be shoved down our throat like you know a lot of those uh, dc films did in his reign i i just want the color to be uh, sort of something that adds to your experience of watching the film and remembering the film later because let's be honest a shelf life of a film is how you remember it and how right. long you remember it for and that memory matters a lot uh, in how a film's legacy plays out Uh, so when you remember a film does it look the same way as when you saw the film same way as when you are with a person in a relationship are they the same person uh, when you think about them 10 years later you know there are right, good right. colors going to be added and subtracted then and that's why i feel like colors come in and play such an important role as do the, as does the cinematography also right i love colors you know if <laughs> just add colors i like you know it just makes me happy <laughs> like you know la la land or any other film even the casino if it has color it just makes the film you know you remember as you said it just makes you remember that film so much and that's why you know west anderson films oh, yeah. so memorable uh, because the fr- you just need to see one frame and you will remember yeah. it forever exactly. uh, and, and such a great example because wes anderson is the you know is the sort of uh, global king of you know the way uh, of color of the pastels that you see of that entire comic book meets like uh, real life sort of uh, uh, almost graphic novelish uh, magic realism and 
and not just him even pedro almodovar yeah. for that matter the way he uses colors and the way he sort of uh, sort of designs his production according to the colors you know in there there's no color correction so much uh, it's the way the greens and the reds and the you know the brighter colors that he sort of uh, inserts into the production design itself and that uh, for me also is a different use of color and it i as you said it contributes to you know how you'll never forget these films later right right and do you remember a film that's so beautiful that you almost forgot the story <laughs> uh, so beautiful yes uh, i do in fact one of my first memories of a hollywood film or in fact of a hollywood film i really really liked was great expectations by alfonso cuarón in 1998 mm-hmm. i think uh, gwyneth paltrow and ethan hawke um, of course modern adaptation of a you know classic it's been done to death 100 times but that film was visually so spectacular the way it was shot the way it was scored the way it was edited you know just the aesthetic of that film was so beautiful whenever i remembered the film over the next decade or two decades of you know even when i became a professional critic and all whenever i remembered the film i never remembered what it was about for most of the time you know like only now i know because i watched it again many times and now i understand that i didn't even know who robert de niro was then i just didn't know he was he had a cameo in that as that guy who Uh, as the the criminal in that film and for me it was never about what the film was about like when you're younger you only tend to take away uh, certain things about a film because you're never mature enough to understand the you know the literature behind it or the or the sort of uh, or the psychology behind it and i never knew what great expectations was about till i became old enough to understand you know that it is about uh, uh, this this of course it is about the woman that we've seen become a manic pixie character right. in so many films over the years right and then i understood that it is about this uh, unobtainium basically the woman you can never obtain the love the, the one that got away and and those things of course dawn upon you when you get older and when you're equipped enough to understand it but i was so satisfied with also not understanding it for the longest time and it was it just looked so stunning and it and i listened to the soundtrack through most of my college years also um the haunting soundtrack and i never cared to know what the film was about i just knew it was called great expectations and it had gwyneth paltrow in my favorite gwyneth paltrow role uh and it was just it was one of those films uh, i will forever cherish because of just that because i could not ever figure out what it was about till later that's great that's great i when i think of you know i think of ravan it's stunning ravan is so beautifully made it's just like you know i think uh, fc also did a piece and vishal had done this uh, i just remember yeah. put this frames but it's so stunningly each and every scene that has been shot that you know i didn't care much about the story all the story was i liked the film yeah. uh, although like uh, abhishek's character was slightly uh, you know whatever be the case but it's just yeah. so beautifully that entire behne de sequence and all it's so so stunning and even savariya for that matter i know you spoke about <laughs> that it's so beautiful i know it's dark and it's blue but it's just the world building that uh, sanjay like love and sanjay has done through his film that mm. scene of the blues uh, in that rani and um, yeah i think yeah. it the piano one where yeah. he goes to that house 
it's just stunning. Like, uh, yeah, even Tamasha for that matter, it's just got stunning cinematography. I feel like the course yeah, yeah. sections. Never, I mean, don't get me started about Tamasha. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's no end to that one. But, of course, the contrast in colors in Tamasha, you know, from France yeah. to Delhi is brilliant. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Savaria also because, you know, it's easy to label it, oh, it's a blue, this thing, it's right. all whatever. You're basically putting it in a Sanjay Gupta category then by saying right. that there's only one color tone in the film. But it's not. Like, I was only recently re-watching it again. And again, you know, classic example of how I didn't remember at all what the film was when I watched it, after I watched it for years. Then when I watched it again, I'm like, okay, now I see what the filmmaker is trying to do and what it's about and uh, why Sanjay Leela Bansali took such a such an audacious decision to make it look that way. So yeah, that's another right. good example. Absolutely. And then also, of course, our favorites, everybody's favorite, Lutera, the first bit and the second bit, the colors, like it's exactly. yellow and the coldness, you know. I just am exactly. always so amazed how these filmmakers come up with these things and that's what just, you know, makes us love films so much. Yeah. Uh, and the, talking about great expectations, you again reminded me of Indian version, like Fitur. Yeah. <laughs> All the story was like whatever, but some scenes are like stunning. Beautiful. That entire uh, song, Pashmina, yeah, very yeah. beautiful. <laughs> okay, uh, we spoke about editing, we spoke about cinematography. Uh, now let me come to a little bit about, you know, Academy uh, Awards that are coming up next week. First of all, just I'll ask about, you know, general, while writing about, you know, um, English films, do you... Are you able to connect with them the way you can with Hindi cinema? You know, because we grow up with a different certain uh, set of films. So are you able to connect with those films more or anything else? Yeah, I believe like most of the English films that you tend to love or appreciate over the years are more universal in their themes or tones. Like, sure, there are cultural nuances to it. Like, you know, like Parallel Mothers, for example, I recently watched and you need the cultural nuances are in, integral to that story even though it's about two mothers it's about actually it's about the country spain and its history and its history of fascism and all so those things you need to of course you have a very different lens of sometimes you may not even be aware of them but for me the you know our understanding the, the great films actually let you connect on a very universal basis mm-hmm. and they, they have something at the core of their films that you take the physicality of the film away and you're left with a certain understanding of a, of a tone in the film. Like, for, uh, like given that we are talking about Oscars and all, uh, like Power of the Dog is an example, right? Like it's, uh, you don't know, like that film is based in a universe as far away as possible, in a time period or in a culture as detached as from us as possible, like as Indians or as... Right that matter even modern americans or modern europeans will never understand uh, the nuances the cultural nuances of where it's based and how people used to behave back then but at the core of it it's about a mother and a son and you know that is something that hits you only towards the end of the film and that's something that you take away you choose to take that away because that the film let it be accessible enough so i always believe like when i'm writing about english films or watching english films or foreign films for that matter uh, there's always a sense of education at the same time as sort of 
relatability for me loving a film is not entirely about relating to it on a personal level or mm-hmm. on a cultural level uh if it's only that then we'll only watch indian films for the rest of our right. life and to relate or not for me it's about also being welcomed into the world of the film being educated about it and not being looked down on when that film is like parasite for example is such a good example right. of you know it is a snapshot of you know south korean sort of uh, of the south korean economy right now and 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 how uh, their sort of struggles are not very different from a lot of you know our struggles in this part of the world too uh, but at no point does does the south koreanness of the film exclude you from the narrative mm-hmm. right in the end it's about the privileged and the not so privileged and it is uh, it is basically a very universal sort of class uh, war story and and th- that's something that you know we could have so easily said that we don't relate to it Uh, because it's not from our part of the world and we didn't know that things work like this in south korea or in us or in europe but at the core of it the film is basically telling you this is how it is and this is how we choose to look at it and make a sort of dark satire about it at the same time so uh, so for me yeah learning about you know these parts of a, the world or these parts of a culture is is an integral process uh, of watching a film and most of my love for film stems in that entire my entire um passion to travel and passion to see more of this world and that's uh, that i guess a lot of film watchers get to travel from you know the confines of the living room or the confines of the neighborhood theater and i think a lot of it is based in our curiosity about how the rest of the world operates outside of our city outside of our society and culture and i think that relatability has very little to do with that got it that's great um and do you read any of the other critics uh, from hollywood richard brody or anybody like actively do you follow them or uh yeah, no i i sort of used to like of course growing up i used to follow a lot of roger ebert only mm-hmm. um i do read critics from the west time to time i love reading richard brody's reviews may not agree with his opinions most of the time nobody does but i just love the way he frames his argument mm-hmm. and he frames his absolutely difficult to justify opinions uh, and still sort of convinces you through the power of prose alone uh, i love anthony lane's reviews uh, i love ao scott's reviews uh, i don't read them as much as i should mm-hmm. also i find because i also end up reviewing a lot of the same films right. so i don't want to be influenced uh, maybe later i might read you know out of envy or whatever it is to see what they saw uh, coming from the region that you know they are Uh, and they are very different gazes but mostly i read for you know prose for for the for the craft itself not to know what they are thinking as much as how they put it across and uh, but my reading over the years has lessened only the big films from time to time i'll read about you know what they have to say about it but uh, uh, yeah but a lot of my sort of education about film criticism uh over the years happened through you know the chicago sun times sort of link on the imdb page at the top of every imdb page review uh which was roger ebert so uh, i i guess that's how i got into the whole thing too right right which remind me you know i found your rotten tomatoes profile <laughs> yeah. uh, which is very active i mean uh so uh, i don't know how it's automated or you have to put it yourself but uh, you know i often wonder like there is sometimes like um, the critics rating and the audience rating they just separate it out so and there yeah. is often 
there's a huge variance between these two sets. Do you think why that happens? I know people in general don't see the films the critics do, but have you thought about it sometime? Uh, no, actually, if you, I mean, if you think about it, there's no end to it because like yeah, this yeah. is a... this is a conflict as old as time right like critics and audiences are never really on the same page most of the time not even talking about indian critics like all over the world right. and yeah i never noticed that about the rotten tomatoes thing and about like how the audience ratings are so different from the critics but you can put it down to the fact that critics the job of critics is to you know look through the look through the film and read the mm. film so of course a drawback of that is you'll see more flaws than others do uh you will see more uh, uh thing uh, at the same time you will also see more nuances than other do others do so uh, of course as an audience you engage on a slightly more superficial level whether you enjoyed it or engage with it or not but as a critic you tend it's your job to get into the film so much that you may or may not your feelings may or may not be defined by you know binary emotions mm. like ever say that i totally loved the film or i totally uh, disliked the film so you know uh, yeah so it's it's different in that sense no matter what the critics tell you that of course we watch it as an audience too but the thing is the our our sort of uh, our perspective allows us to uh, is both a superpower and a weakness at the same time right like it's right. never going to allow you to look at the film the way others do at the same time you will see things that you it's almost like x-ray vision sometimes and yeah, you are supposed yeah. to do that whether you like it or not like you need to do that for mm-hmm. films preserve and yeah. Uh, yeah i guess that's how that's why there's always going to also be going forward a gap between both right so now coming to the oscars are there any best film favorites <laughs> that you're looking for forward I mean, to win to be honest like most of my the best picture nominees this time i felt like were very you know legacy names mostly like big directors means big films mm. means their next films i don't think they were all the best films uh, in the category i think the international film category is far stronger uh, uh, than that as usual but i guess you know like i'm pretty much expecting power of the dog to sweep everything as it should also because you know uh, i i haven't seen a couple of the films but from what i have seen i can say that you know that film is probably uh, more multilayered and more nuanced than a lot of films i've seen in recent memory and it just the vibe that film gives out just the way it sort of unfolds and then does not let you it sort of leads you down a path depending on what kind of film you are uh, viewer you are and then uh, it, it sort of hits you with something you didn't really see coming uh, but I, i just felt that was a beautifully crafted film and very difficult film to make also so i feel like that is the favorite uh, i won't say it's my favorite either i don't think i have like a favorite favorite but i really loved uh, will smith in king richard mm-hmm. like i'm sorry might probably win the best actor award and all but i really loved him in the film uh, even though it was a very simple film it was you know i know your aversion also towards biopics and i have the aversion uh, i have the same aversion especially when it comes to sports biopics but this was uh, very simply told even though it was executive produced by the williams sisters which is always a red flag when you know the people right. who stories being told are producing it 
but i just felt it did such a fine job at what it tried set out to do and and that's where you see the difference between an hagiography and a biopic because uh, uh, will smith played richard williams with uh, uh, who serena and venus williams father with such uh, it reminded me of his pursuit of happiness role and an extension mm-hmm. of that and he's such he's very good at playing these uh, sort of Uh, problematic troubled fathers or like struggling fathers at the same time and uh, uh, it just felt like a very towering performance and very nice culmination uh, of a career that has consistently you know uh, sort of aged very well and delivered these kind of performances so for me my favorite performance was that but my favorite film was worst person in the world which is in the international right. category uh it won't win drive my car will win but uh, i just i loved the uh, the worst person in the world i i really like that film could be down to how you know it's more tailored towards our generation and our insecurities mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but you know that film is one of the rare contemporary films that manages to be uh, critically acclaimed and critically and, and very nuanced and very profound at the same time you don't see a lot of modern day films do that it's mostly period films or or you know metaphorical films or or you know historical films that do that but this film is based in the now uh, and tells such great thing like tick tick boom and that film are sort of siblings in that sense mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I, i just liked you know those films a lot more than the others right and of course there is this indian film uh, writing with fire right yeah. i think that's the do- only documentary that's been i i think it might win <laughs> uh, I, it. i don't yeah. know i haven't seen others but uh, it looks like it's getting all the rave reviews so we will see i think uh, right, so i i wa- i've seen writing with fire i watched mm-hmm. it last year itself and it's a phenomenal documentary it's one of the best journalism films i've seen uh, ever like not only you know and, and it's it's beautiful it's beautifully crafted it's it's a difficult film to release in india because of the current climate right. uh, political climate but uh, it's a, it's an excellent film on any other year i feel like that documentary would have been the favorite to win mm-hmm. uh, but i feel like flee will win it like Got flee it. made a documentary about the afghan refugee about the queer afghan refugee uh, first of all it's it's nominated across three sections like animated okay. film foreign film and uh, international mm-hmm. uh, and uh, sort of uh, uh, animated documentary and foreign film international film so first time that's ever happened i've seen flee also uh, and that's just it's another level it changes your way it changes the way you think about documentaries about stories from the past about stories of history because it is animated so there's fiction and non fiction tools used to tell uh, uh, a real story uh, so i just felt like i feel like flee is the favorite to win but you know i'd be more than happy yeah. if the fire pulls off an upset or something right that reminds me writing there was this and uh, that arvin kejriwal one an insignificant man yes. right yes. i think uh, even that was pretty good i i remember parts of it though i don't remember full now but i think that was also pretty well done in terms of you know it the kind of documentaries don't get that much uh, attention um but yeah and then the, i remember there was this smile pinky that long yeah. ago <laughs> that that cleft lip uh girl one yeah, it's like a go- it's it's a proper it's a proper sort of purple patch for indian documentaries you know yeah. because all that breeds also for those who are fortunate enough to watch it i am pretty sure that will be the favorite to win an oscar not just be nominated next year uh, because it won at sundance and when you do well at sundance 
you're automatically the favorite in the running to win everything you know over the award season in the coming year so uh, so i'm glad that you know indian documentaries are being mm. noticed on an international scale finally is there something that you would like to change about the oscars about the oscars um I mean, in I, general, I, anything. It could be anything. Not really. I mean, I've been a big Oscars fan. I mean, just like a enthusiast for the longest time. Like most people, I wake up and watch, watch it, and cheer for the people. Have my favorites, and you know. But of course, I, you know, I'd like to see. I know there's a controversy raging right now, and I'd like to see all the awards. Like, yeah. I don't want to just see the editing announced when we are not, like, when it's not. broadcast but not telecast i don't want to see the technical awards being you know because the most beautiful moments in these awards functions come from the people who work behind the scenes the one who win for sound design and and editing and uh, and a lot of the technical categories uh, are the ones who actually are not used to being sort of uh, sort of you know validated on such a public stage every day so their emotions i find are much more uh, um, you know they are much more genuine to watch uh, than a lot of the stars that we come on uh, we see uh-huh. coming stage because <laughs> they used to being in the spotlight these people are not so when they are in on stage giving the speech fumbling through the speeches i find that beautiful it's a very integral part of awards watching you know and i don't like that these big ceremonies are taking out those awards and only leaving the main categories i just wish they just you know bite the bullet and just go with showing us everything and all the reactions through the night because the reactions are what make our experience in this because we want to feel happy for people we don't know or people we look up to and for me that's that's why i you know i used to watch reality shows all the time uh, just for that you know these music reality shows and and uh, the song reality shows because i love seeing the reactions in the audience of parents of uh, of other people in in the audience so i like seeing that even in oscars even in golden globes and i, I just wish that they continue showing all mm-hmm. that okay now you know i've told this to you before i think your writing comes out uh, very beautifully when i've seen when you write most uh honestly about your parents <laughs> you know whether it was that piece on english english uh, mm. about your mother or the recent one on gehraiya and then yeah. you know uh, i loved in the review of gehraiya you how you connected the lost daughter with alisha's story uh so now you know uh, if to pick between i read both your reviews of uh, between olivia colman and kristen stewart mm. who, who would you choose as an actress yes for the let's say for the oscar i i'd say um, i mean i love both of them so much and uh, but i i'd say olivia colman uh, for lost daughter because it's it's a very difficult role like people don't get how difficult that film is to make first of all it says such uh, unsavory truths that we you know we tend to not uh, show in real life and hide behind uh, uh, a visage but uh, it's a very complicated performance just that olivia colman makes things look easy so you know you might you might sort of uh, not see the effort of the performance as say um, kristen stewart as diana because the effort is obvious there she's changing her accent she's changing her look uh, she's being a different kind of diana you know it's a focused two day diana and she's supposed to sort of uh, sort of tell the whole story of diana by her experience on a weekend uh, which is 
no doubt a powerful performance on its own but uh, it's just that olivia colman for me was my it is for me the best one of the best performances i've seen in recent times and it is just a very difficult thing to do like uh, i was just disappointed that you know worst person in the world renata wasn't nominated in mm. the same category uh, they went with a few more popular names like jessica chastain and all but i just wish and hope i know it may not happen but uh, olivia colman was my favorite and it it was also more rewarding to write about it so. right right i haven't watched the film but you know i just was thinking uh, although the film wasn't good even you know shakuntala devi had a little bit of that how the mother daughter relationship uh, you know like we um, idealized mothers as sacrificing and those sort of bits uh, but i could sense it like you know even shakuntala devi had a little bit of it although that film was slightly uh, not like as memorable uh, as this one okay uh now my last question for today is you know you mentioned uh, in that recent piece that you you sometimes think of writing for new york times and yeah. you know those would you move out if things worked out <laughs> yeah i mean that's like it's a philosophical yeah, question so yeah, i mean yeah. it's just a personal question so i thought right, it would be nice you're constantly idealistic and you have your own dreams and of course your dreams are tied to big names and big legacy publications and all sure i mean just i wouldn't like if i if present ever presented with an opportunity i would definitely you know do it uh, i i i'm not like you know deluded about that entire thing that that film criticism is ever going to be uh, really really recognized in india as much as it is maybe in the west uh, it's not in my lifetime at least and I'll, it's difficult to be a film critic in india let's just very yeah. honestly so if i am ever presented with an opportunity my dream still holds you know like even getting a byline there and all like for whatever for however reason and whether it be for film or something else uh, or modern love for that matter since you read so much of it <laughs> uh, and a lot of my columns are uh, more or less you know a variation of those kind of pieces like mm-hmm. at the personal pieces uh, of course there is film in it and all but the films aren't the defining factors of all these essays that i write and i strive to uh, sort of tell those kind of stories or uh, you know touch upon those kind of uncomfortable truths in life uh, through those essays and for me those are i wouldn't say they are auditioning or anything like that but they are uh, i feel like they are, they should i feel like i hope they have a greater purpose uh, in the long run because you know i'm not i never apply or i never pitch or anything like that but i always have the uh, dream of having a byline in a new yorker or a new york times or any you know big publication that rewards uh, sort of a different kind of writing or a, or it may be a more personal kind of writing also uh, i w- i don't see myself writing film essays per se for a lot of these publications but writing in its purest form yes i still uh, and it's it's funny that you only you you picked that out in that uh, particular <laughs> no i read everything but i just was like you know as writers we all dream of these things yeah you know so i just remembered it even like today of course there was this whole bit i remember but it's just like i'll ask you about this in the podcast you know because we all know in india as you rightly said uh, film critics is 
we've seen how different, like even if you put a different review, how yeah. the fans of stars are after you, even in a normal film. And in this politically charged times, it's just so uh, toxic. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, but that line, you know, New York Times and all, because sometimes I also think like, you know, I wish I had the uh, capacity or, you know, the talent, but, you know, it's just a matter of uh, dreaming. So we'll be sure. Okay. All right. So Rahul, we spoke a lot today about editing, cinematography and Oscars. So hopefully, uh, I think, listen, I hope listeners like this. And we will be back with a new set next month. So thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. All right.